Psalm 8, 1 through 9. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who has set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. To give uh, credit where credit is due, uh, my wife decided for some reason to uh, have my kids work on Psalm 8 for the summer to memorize Psalm 8. And about a week ago, I discovered that uh, the message today has a big chunk from Psalm 8. So trying to take a hint from the Lord, well, maybe they should try to recite it for the saints. I hope that was a blessing. Uh, for you and might contribute to the message as well. Other than working on uh, memory verses, my wife is, uh, works very hard around our house, and I decided to give her a break uh, last week. My, my family was staying with us, so I took her out for a day. Uh, about 24 hours, we went out and got to spend time together. And uh, during that time, I took her out to a restaurant, and uh, I think there may be a picture somewhere showing a restaurant, and uh, maybe a little bit to my disappointment, so, so you, you go to the front door, and there's a nice receptionist that greets you, and asks how many you are, and there's two of us, and you know, she leads you to a table, and the table she led me to wasn't quite to my satisfaction, and I said, can't we have a window seat, please? So she gave us a window seat. But even that was really in the bar section of the restaurant. It wasn't in the nicer section. And I probably have no one to blame but ourselves. We didn't dress particularly nicely. Right? We weren't you know, wearing dirty or torn clothes. But the restaurant we went into maybe had some uh, you know, better dressed uh, patrons than we were. And so we didn't get quite the best seat in the house. Now, Maybe we shouldn't worry too much about what seat a restaurant gives us because uh, they're not, you know, the, the people in charge of the restaurant have just limited value, right, for eternity. But we should be concerned with the seat that God has for us, right? God, if you would, has a place for us in heaven, right? And we want to consider this morning the place that God has for us in heaven. With that, turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 2. Actually, I confess, uh, I agreed we will always work on, uh, on uh, Hebrews 
12, 1 and 2, just as a way of helping everybody memorize those uh, two verses. I also said, if uh, anybody wants to, after they memorized it, they can uh, come uh, and recite it in front of the saints, just as an opportunity to, to show that you really memorized it and you really are listening to the preacher. So let me open the floor. Uh, is, would anybody like to, to, to recite those verses for us this morning? Still working on it. Okay. All right. Uh, well, uh, can you pull those up really quick, Jake? I, it wasn't part of my notes preparation, but uh, I believe our brother Jake is very capable and will have those two verses for us up shortly. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. All right. Therefore, we also... And this is uh, supposed to be everybody saying it with me. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. All right. So next week, I expect somebody will be here and able to share those verses with us. Okay, so the passage we will actually look at today is in chapter 2, and starting in verse 5. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. So the first word we have this morning is the word for. And last week I told you, wherever, whenever you see a therefore, you have to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? Well, you have to do the same thing with for. It just doesn't sound as nice. You have to ask, what is the for, therefore? What is he referring to? Well, he's referring to the previous section when he told us about the great salvation that God has for us, right? How great a salvation we have. And uh, in this section, he will show us really how high that salvation gets, right? And uh, we remember that this book was written as an encouragement. You had the Hebrews. They were a church uh, that existed for some time. They were under some kind of persecution, and the believers were getting discouraged in their faith, and to encourage them, the author is writing the epistle to the Hebrews. 
<coughs> now, he says, for he has not put the world to come. And which world are we talking about when we say the world to come? We're not speaking of this world. We're speaking of the next world. And uh, we have it for us in 2 Peter 3.13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Right? That's what we as believers should be focused on. Not this world, but the world to come. Now he tells us that he, that is God, has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. What's the thought here? Well, so there's a future world in which men and angels will live in some kind of fellowship. Uh, God will be present, will be able to see God. And there's lots of other wonderful things about the world to come. But a question that is brought to mind, well, who's going to be in charge? Now, we know God is going to be in charge, right? But God has given us in this world the opportunity to exercise authority. What about the world to come? Would it make sense that angels should have the authority in the world to come? After all, they're more powerful than we are. They're more intelligent than we are. They haven't sinned. We kind of dropped the ball on this one, right? You would say, well, that makes sense. Put the angels in charge. But what he says is, he has not put the world to come in subjection to angels, right? They're not going to be in charge. So who's going to be in charge? We are, right? Even in the world to come, we are going to be in charge. And if you doubt that, you can look at a place like 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 1 through 3. I remember uh, when I was being discipled by Rick Bellas, bringing uh, uh, this verse to him because I came across it in my reading and I was a little bit confused. And he said it's a teaser verse. He tells us a little bit about the future. We don't understand everything it's talking about. But it's something to you know, get our appetite going when we think about the world to come. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 3. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, uh, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. So I'm going to throw a hypothetical situation. Let's say as I backed my car out of my parking spot, I happened to, uh, to hit Michael's car and put a little dent in it. And I look at the dent, I apologize to Michael, and I say, Michael, you know, uh, Joe's uh, repair shop down the road could probably fix this for a few hundred dollars. And Michael tells me, uh-uh, this is a Toyota, and I only take my Toyota to the Toyota service center. And uh, he takes it in, and they give him a quote for $2,500. They will fix the debt. And I tell Michael, you know, this is not right. This is not a $2,500 dent in your car. Let's take it to Joe's repair shop, and it'll be fixed. For Michael says no. And eventually, Michael gets so upset with me, he takes me to the court of law. He sues me. He brings me to small claims court and uh, says, you know, out here owes me $2,500. And I guess the judge will come and, and decide. What this passage says, you know, you guys really should not do that. Right? And then it explains why we should not do it. It says, do you not know that the saints will judge 
the world. Right? This is now speaking of the same thing this passage is talking about. We will judge the world. Not this world, we know that, but the world to come. And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? If one day me and Michael are going to be ruling the world and judging the world, you know, we ought to be able to resolve this <laughs> between ourselves, right? How can, how can we be able to judge a world and not settle a matter like that? And then he goes on and he says, do you not know that we shall judge angels? We shall judge angels, right? There it is, black and white, in the world to come. Okay, uh, it, back to the book of Hebrews. After he, after he uh, says what he said about the angel, he says, but one testified in a certain place, saying, and then he quotes a section of Psalm 8, which is one of the... Um, Really, the marks of the book of Hebrews, he has a lot of Old Testament quotations, probably more than any other book in the New Testament, because it was written to people familiar with the Old Testament. So he appeals to them. He backs up his point by quoting uh, from the Old Testament. And he says, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man uh, that you take care of him? I was thinking of illustrations for this. Um, we have you know, a lovely daughter named Eliana, and uh, she likes to draw and to write stories. And, uh, you know, we're thinking of her future, right? Me and my wife, and we're thinking, you know, how can we help her? You know, maybe we should put her in an art class or send her to some young author's class or something that would help her. And you'd say, well, that's expected, right? We're her parents, we should be thinking of her future. What if uh, she finds out one day that not just us, but, uh, Let's say the President of the United States, Obama, is thinking about her. And he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about Eliana. I'm interested in Eliana. I want to make sure she has the best, you know, kind of training and education. You'd be very shocked. Why would Obama think about her? He has much greater and bigger things to be doing with his time. Well, what about God? Should God be thinking about us? Doesn't he have greater and bigger things to do? Right? In, the, in Psalm 8, he started by talking about the heavens. Right? He's the one who made the heavens. How big of a project was it to make the heavens? So here's a picture of the heavens. Um, there was a point, so, so we have scientists that try to measure the size of the universe. And uh, I don't know what the, the current size of the universe is, but I think it's in the billions of light years, right? That's the current estimate. And at one point, they were hoping they could actually come and see the very end of the universe. And so what they did is they took a, a telescope and they focused it on a size about, the, you know, the head of a needle or something like that. And they focused on it and tried to see as far as they could. They picked the blackest spot where they couldn't see any stars and they said, Maybe that's the edge of the universe. We will see no more. And, you know, they waited, and then they developed the picture, and it was something like that, full of stars and galaxies. You know, the universe is so vast that we cannot see the end of it. And God is the one who the Bible says, you know, put the stars in place with his fingers. You know, how big is our God? And yet it says that he is mindful of man. He thinks of you and me. We are on his mind. He's concerned about uh, 
Janio, he's concerned about Don, he's concerned about every person in this room. He's, you are on his mind, right? That's what he says. What is man that you are mindful of him? His mind is full of you. <laughs> he's thinking about you. He's concerned about you. He's concerned for your future, right? And then he says, or oh, the son of man that you take care of him. So this is kind of a step, if you would, beyond just thinking of us. God takes care of us. Uh, in view of creation, which is kind of the topic of Psalm 8, you could say, you know, man was thinking, God was thinking about man when he created the world, right? He, he created it to be inhabited. He was thinking, what will we need in this world? Well, we're going to need air. That would be good to have. And water, we need water. We'll need food. God made sure the world would have all these things that we would need, right? He didn't just think about us, he acted. <laughs> you know, he, did, he, he made the world in a way that we would have everything we need out of this world. And he continually holds it together. It's, it wasn't just a single act and then released to spin into the universe. God is continuously concerned and making sure we have everything that we need in the world. And then he says, you have made him a little lower than the angels. Now at first that might seem, well, I don't want to be lower than anybody. But then, you know, angels are pretty good. If I came and told you, you know, I'm a little bit lower than Steph Curry when it comes to playing basketball. <laughs> You'd say, boy, no, you have a high opinion of yourself. <laughs> right, so a little bit lower than angel is actually pretty good. Now, what he means by a little bit lower is we don't have the same power they have, right? One angel once took on the... Uh, the army of the greatest empire that the world has yet seen at the time, the empire of Assyria, and destroyed that one army in one night. Right? So angels are pretty good. Being a little bit lower than the angel isn't so bad. But what he's talking about is we have, we're similar to the angels in that we're made in the image of God. We have a spiritual nature. Angels are spiritual beings. They interact with God all the time. You know what? You have a spiritual nature too. You interact with God as well. You have the power to know God, to have a relationship with God, which is what makes you a little bit lower than the angels. You have that same capacity that they have to know God and to do God's will. But here is where it really comes. It says, you have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. There's a... A person named Elon Musk, if I, if I get the name correctly, and I believe he started a number of companies. Uh, one of them is a SpaceX, and I think he has like a solar company and a car company, and I think before that he made his money opening eBay or something like that. So he's kind of a man that uh, Wall Street watches. Whenever he starts a company, you can bet people are going to buy stock in it because of uh, his uh, history of success. And let's say... You know, he, he creates a new company, let's say it was SpaceX, and after he builds it up, he gives you the keys, Sam, and he says, you be in charge. I want you to run my company. Well, that's what God did with the universe, right? He created the universe, and then he hands the keys to man. This is what he says in Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God creates the world. He hands man the keys. He says, you're in charge. Wow. I right. call that a crown of glory on our head. We're the ones that God put in charge of this. Well, no, God didn't give that to the angels. God didn't give the angels authority over this world. He gave it to us. Right? Now, we may not have done a good job with that, granted. But that doesn't take away from the fact God gave us that glorious position of being in charge of his physical creation. Okay, that's it for Psalm 8, which you, if you would remember was brought in to support the fact that God gives us a place of glory in his new creation. And we see it because God gave us a place of glory in his first creation, so it, it makes sense. It's consistent with that. But then... Our author is very picky. He says, For in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. And this reminds me of what uh, Jesus says. He says, You know, I surely say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Did Jesus take the word of God seriously? He did. And so this person is doing the same, and he says, wait a second, it says you have put all things in subjection under his feet. That is what the word of God says, right? And, um, and, but not everything is under his feet. I mean, right now we're not in charge of angels, right? Are you in charge of angels? I don't have any angels answering to me at the moment. <laughs> There's a lot of things that really are not even in this world that are not answered, answering to me anymore. Now, we know a lot of it is because of the fall, right? Man's rebellion against God. But what the author is doing here, he is turning this passage into prophecy. And he says, the word of God must stand. If God says all things go under his feet, then all things must go under his feet because God is not a liar. He tells the truth. And so he's, he's turning that, like I said, into a prophecy. And then he says... But now we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus, right? Looking unto Jesus. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Now to see what he's talking about, we could turn to a familiar passage in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. He says... Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. We, earlier this morning, we were worshiping the Lord Jesus for what he did for us. We pointed out he is the Lord of glory. Right? Jesus is God, God the Son. And yet, being in the form of God, being God the Son, he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, meaning he didn't think that what he ought to do was stay in the position uh, receiving the glory as God. He never stopped being God. But he, he saw something that was more important 
than remaining on the throne. Jesus could have just remained on the throne in heaven for all of eternity. He never had to step down from it. But he had something that he wanted to do that required him to step down from that throne, verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And what that means, he took upon himself the nature of man. In Hebrews it says he was made a little lower than the angels. Remember, we didn't say that it means he's less important than the angels, but as far as power, he, he no longer had, if you would, this indestructibility about him. He was now hungry. He was thirsty. He was tired. He had the same nature that you and me have. He became a man in every way. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So we know when Jesus was a man, he went to the cross at Calvary, and there he died. And we can add for our sins. Therefore, now it turns around. God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. And that talks about the resurrection, right? God lived after Jesus died, he was buried. And then God raised him from the dead, not just to be raised from the dead, but giving him a name, exalted him, giving him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." So from heaven, he came to earth, became a man, died on the cross, and then was raised from the dead and placed back in heaven in glory. So it seems like a, you know, a net zero change. right? Why did Jesus do that? Why did he step down to the earth and die and then go back to heaven, attaining the same position he had before? Well, the answer for that in Hebrews was that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. You see, you and me, without interventions, are not ascending to the throne of heaven. Right? We're descending to the lowest hell. Right? Like it or not, that's what we deserve. And the only way... Jesus could turn that around was going there in our place. Right? He had to descend and taste death for every man, every woman, every child. That's what he did. Now, the Bible tells us it wasn't just that as he went down, he took the place of man. It's also as he went up that he took the place of man. Remember? Because somehow the scripture promises our destiny is to rule the world to come. How is that ever going to happen? Well, it happens as Jesus rose. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. He says, But God, 
who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together. Now you're catching it. As, as Jesus descended and took our place, now he's ascending and he's taking us with him and raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where is Christ Jesus sitting? On the throne of the universe. Where are we sitting? In Christ. Where is that? It's the throne of the universe. Right? Now we understand, you know, that he is the Lord of lords and kings of kings. We will always do his bidding. Right? But we are there with him ruling over the universe. What seat does a restaurant offers you that is worthy to compare with that seat? None. And you know, that seat belongs to every person in this room who belongs to the Lord Jesus. Right? That is your seat, the seat that God has given you. The throne of the universe. I've, uh, I've enjoyed over the years listening to biographies of, uh, of Christian uh, men and women who served the Lord Jesus. It's often encouraging to see how God uses people. And recently I listened to a biography of uh, General William Booth. I mentioned that to our brother. And uh, there was a story there, not about him, but about another missionary, a lady. Uh, as I understand it, an English lady uh, that went to uh, India to serve among the poor people. That was a Salvation Army was always focused on reaching the lowest of the low. And, uh, and she was serving, uh, trying to reach out to the lowest of the low in India. And uh, one day they brought to her a man who was uh, writhing and crying and screaming. And uh, at first she thought, they're bringing me like a demon-possessed man. I don't know what I'm going to do with this man. But as she, uh, as she inspected him, it turned out that he wasn't demon-possessed. He had some object stuck in his foot. I don't know if it was uh, like a barbed wire or a long thorn or something. And uh, just the edge of it was sticking out. And he was in so much pain because of it that he was writhing in agony and crying out. And she touched it and he screamed and he, she said, yep, that's it. That's what's causing all the pain. So she went to her medical kit looking for her forceps to pull it out. The forceps were not there. She put her lips on the man's foot, grabs the object with her teeth, and pulls it out. Because of that act, a church was born in that village. In this world, people seek the highest place. She didn't take the high place, did she, when she did that act? She took the lowest place. And yet, we as believers already have the highest place in the universe. What is there that this world offers us that's worth us going after it? Nothing. She did the same thing Jesus did in this passage. It says, for it was fitting for him 
for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. There's only one thing in this world that's of importance and that is bringing many sons to glory. And for that, brothers and sisters, we should be willing to do whatever is necessary. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, you took the lowest place. There was no other place lower than the one that you took. We can never uh, attempt to ascend to that place, descend to that place, and even if we could, we would do no good because that's the place we deserve. But you, Lord, did not deserve that lowest place and where you suffered for our sins. And uh, you raised us up to sit together with you uh, in the heavenly places in Christ. And Lord, as we just attempt to put our minds around the thought of being seated in you as you are seated on the throne of the universe, definitely boggles our mind. Lord, take away from our eyes the vanities of this world that offers us something that uh, the world says is worth seeking after, and let us instead just seek after those things that are dear to your heart, uh, those people in this world that still do not know you. Lord, help us be a vessel that you could use to reach them and bring them to yourself. For we ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.